0: Welcome to the High Performance CEO Podcast. This show is made with one purpose, to help you create a self-driven and engaged high performance organization, where we deliver you proven strategies and expert interviews on how to drive significant profit growth, create a stress-free ownership culture, and give you the time freedom you always wanted from your business. And now, here's your host, highly sought after business growth strategist and executive coach, Patrick Rogers. This is Patrick Rogers, and today we have the privilege to have Brian White on the show. And Brian's the founder and CEO of Yopon Brothers American Tea. Welcome to the show, Brian.
1: Hey, thanks for having me.
0: Yeah, you bet, man. So, a little bit of background on Brian. He lives in New Smyrna Beach, Florida, with his wife and son. Again, he's the founder and CEO of Yopon Brothers American Tea. Uh, as well as a few other uh, ventures he has going on, we might dive into as well today. He's an entrepreneur obsessed with social enterprise and culture, has over a decade of experience in the CBG industry, native agriculture, and indigenous food system redevelopment. He's always looking at ways to make the world a better place through the choices we make as consumers, business owners, and human beings. So again, Brian, great to have you on the show. Before we dive into all the good stuff, what's, uh, what's one interesting fact that not many people know about you?
1: Yeah, well, in my past life before entrepreneurship got its hooks in me, I was a police officer for about ten years, oh, and wow. uh, I have a criminology background. And I did that for a while until I reached the age of reason and decided it would be a good idea to take the leap into my own business. Wow, that is. Thank you for your service,
0: man. I uh, blue lives matter. <laughs> i have a lot of friends uh from high school that are actually firemen and police officers so um yeah so i 10 you did it for 10 years is that what you said
1: yep 10 years Mm -hmm.
0: any any uh what's your best story from that were you like were you out in the streets a lot were you like what kind of what kind of police officer were you
1: no i actually had a really interesting job um so i started off working for uh the beach patrol really. So I I'm from Volusia County, Florida, which is like Daytona Beach, Spring Break, you know, crazy town. And um essentially we have this massively busy lifeguard corps that is the busiest in the United States outside of Los Angeles County. Uh-huh. So we rescue wow. thousands of people from the ocean a year. And I got started there in high school. And when I went to college, uh, my intention was to go to law school. Uh-huh. But it was when I was graduating 2008, uh, Great Recession, no jobs, and uh, my my previous employer, the lifeguard place, approached me and offered to put me through the police academy um, to, you know, help me do some other things for the county. And that's what I did. You know, you couldn't get a job doing anything else. Uh, so I went through and uh, very cool did that. I went back and got my master's in criminology and uh, sort of, you know, did it till I didn't do it anymore.
0: No, that's awesome so you were you were a lifeguard for a while and then from there uh got into the police police academy that you know that was the that was the were you um did you know pamela anderson come on now
1: <laughs> i didn't personally know pamela anderson uh you know i knew of her of course but i did I, so i was an ocean rescue lifeguard i was uh, a, a law enforcement officer and i was also an, an emt so we were what's called tri- triple certified uh you know, wow, it's cool. It's a cool job. You know, I really enjoyed yeah. my time there. And I'm still active in the sport of lifesaving, which uh-huh. most people don't realize is a sport. But I uh-huh. still do that. Yeah, still still compete in that sport. So it's a lot of open water swimming and stuff like that.
0: Well, I can definitely respect it. I actually got qualified in open water um, uh, through the YMCA. I was a lifeguard in high school and got qualified open water. And it was like hell getting qualified for that. I mean, we had to I forget, we had a brick above our head for a certain amount of time, you know, uh, treading water, just insane stuff. So the fact that you're still doing it, that's really cool. So, so do you do that now to kind of keep in shape or just just for because you still have a passion for it?
1: Yeah, I mean, I feel like a lot of entrepreneurs, I have like this psychotic anxiety flash, <laughs> you know, like whatever. Yeah. I have to, you know, get a, like blow off some steam. Uh-huh. And uh, I do a lot of that through, you know, torturing my body in various ways uh, some of them good, some of them bad. Okay. So I do a lot of, um, uh, you know, I run and I do a lot of open water swimming and I'm like most people in the town I live in, I'm a surfer and, you know, we do all kinds of stuff just to take a load off. So nice. that's one of my things. Yeah. Cool. Right on, man.
0: So tell us, tell us more about your company. Tell us about, uh, Yopan, And, uh, I, I think this is, this is just fascinating. I, I, I haven't heard of anything like this. So yeah. So tell us more, man
1: yeah so, like on top of being a former cop and a you know entrepreneurial <laughs> person, I'm also a plant nerd, and um, I've always been into really interested in plants since a very early age. I mean, really, since as long as I can remember. and later on in life, I became fascinated with native plants. so just you know, not what you bought at Home Depot, necessarily, like in Florida, we have lots of tropical plants that everybody buys. and I was more interested in like the stuff that is there naturally. And uh, I came across this plant called the yopon, which is a native tree not just to Florida but to the entire Southeast U.S. And I found out—well, uh, I didn't discover this, but I learned that it was is the only caffeinated plant species native to America. So all the caffeine that we consume, whether it's coffee or tea or the crap in your energy drink or whatever you right. may drink that's caffeinated, it's all imported from somewhere else. And right. on average, we're Removing that material a very long distance to get here, so and there's costs associated with that, right? Yeah, yeah, it's it's an environmental and a financial cost mm-hmm. associated with it. Mm-hmm. And um, when I learned this, I I thought, how crazy is it that this plant that's been consumed for eight thousand years by indigenous people? is totally forgotten today you know this is about 11 years ago and nobody knew that yopon was edible nonetheless caffeinated or or healthy or beneficial so i said well this stuff must taste like crap or somebody would have done something with it already Mm -hmm. and um i said well you know i'll do some experimentation and, Uh and i found some videos on youtube and i made some of the tea And I forced it on all my friends and relatives (laughs) and uh, everybody liked it. You know, nobody got sick. Everybody thought it was Uh at least okay. Nobody got sick. That's good. Yeah. Nobody (laughs) got sick. I mean, that's the first hurdle. You know, nobody died. Uh Nobody got sick. Everybody thought it tasted like tea, you know, or or pretty good. Nobody complained. Uh, So... I thought, well, I'm going to get rich immediately from this. Like, this is going to be this crazy thing that's going to blow up and get huge. Uh-huh, Instead, right. I, with no uh, entrepreneurial experience, no food experience, mm-hmm. no business acumen mm-hmm. whatsoever. And, of course, it didn't work out that way. You know, it was this whole lifelong process uh, involved around building this supply chain around this plant, mm-hmm. which I've done now for the past 10 years. And not just me. Uh, of course, a whole lot of other people. At this point that have been yeah. part of that system. Um, but yeah, I mean, very humble beginnings for a plant that has been not only consumed but revered an absolutely cornerstone or part of indigenous civilization for millennia. And the fact that we don't know about this plant anymore is just bar none uh, a consequence, a direct consequence of the erasure of indigenous culture in America. And that's simply the biggest reason why Uh, we moved the indigenous people out of where the plant grows and they had no written language. And it only took 100 years or so for everybody to pretty much forget that this was something that was extremely important to, you know, culture, transcontinental culture for thousands and thousands of years. So Mm. it becomes sort of an obligation not just to build a business around this thing that mm-hmm. is sustainable and mm-hmm. creates value all over America. Right. But something that really pays tribute to this beautiful history of this plant and the wow. fact that it was kind of just tossed into the dustbin of history, uh, unjustly, I think.
0: Mm. So it's called the Yopon Holly.
1: That's right. Yeah. It is a Holly. Mm-hmm.
0: What, what part of uh, America does it, does it grow naturally in? or best in
1: well it grows naturally in the southeast coastal plain so from about uh, austin texas all the way over through the carolinas uh it's found in about a dozen states uh most northern place you can find it naturally is in arkansas mm. and the most southern place you'll find it is in florida but uh it's it's a, quite a common plant within that range. And it's also very commonly planted ornamentally in the landscape. So it's sort of the ubiquitous hedge of the South. Wow. Yeah. So, so tell
0: us, so what's, um, so you started this company, what, 2015? Is that right?
1: Yeah, I started Yopon Brothers in 2015. I had a failed iteration (laughs) before that, but I started in 2011. So I had, I had a company called Yopon OCT, Uh, the one that I started with no experience or, you know, anything. And of course, I had no concept of scale. I had no concept of how to actually build a sustainable business. And simply stated, there's so much misinformation and romanticization, is that a word, for (laughs) entrepreneurs? Sure. That I mean, I I definitely fell into that honeypot of This is going to be easy. Somebody's going to give me money. There's going to be challenges, but who cares? I I have a much more well-rounded approach to it now. Not to say that it's easy still, but uh, yeah. So I, I had a business. It kind of blew up. I immediately started a new one. I'm too dumb to quit. What can I say?
0: Yeah, persistent. There you go. It's not a failure. It's a learning opportunity, right? Um. So, so what, what was the difference? Like if you look back <clears throat> the, the one that you started in 2011 versus 2015, what, what did you do differently?
1: I paid attention to more important things, you know, like building a business with a strong foundation, um, something that can hopefully sustain itself, uh, something that's run on a process that's repeatable and scalable, which I think is really, really important. Um, you know, and, and this, I, I kind of came out of the age of Shark Tank being a thing and everybody watching that show, which of course is just total made up BS. I mean, it doesn't work like that for Uh for anyone hardly. And so, I learned the hard way. I think a lot of people do, uh, and a lot of people don't make it out of that process. I somehow I'm still here. So So in
0: 2011, like what what led to the failure? Like what or, or you know, call it failure. What what led to you abandoning that concept? what you know
1: uh i had a problem with a partner another common thing uh that was just it became just like an amicable divorce it wasn't that any of us were bad people or wrong or anything it just Mm. wasn't wasn't a good partnership and also my branding was terrible it's hard to recover from that i didn't have um i didn't have a repeatable process you know i had a good product that was Mm. On the market, well, I mean, we mm-hmm. revolutionized the space. We were first to market. That's not always okay. a good thing, by the way. Um, but I learned a lot from that. And I I endeavored then and now to not repeat my mistakes. Mm. You know, So I started a new business up immediately with a new partner. My brother among them, he was a partner in the old business too. Uh, he's been with me the whole time, my brother Kyle. And he had a mentor named Mark Steele who started this new business with us who is still a partner in the business today so it's just a much better fit you know much more well rounded methodical approach and as we've gone on we've become you know more stringent around you know the financials or the culture, those are the important parts of a business I think you know building Mm -hmm. something that has good bones strong foundation. It's not all flash in the pan, like glitter biscuit that you see on Shark Tank. Glitter biscuit. So when you say, you know,
0: foundation, that can mean a lot of different things to a lot of different people. What does that mean to you?
1: I guess it it would be whatever you're going to compare it to. I think what I meant is comparing it to how entrepreneurship has become so financialized in the sense that a lot of serial founders... They just rinse and repeat. You know, they know how to to game the system of of venture capital, get money, make a quick exit. Those those are brands or businesses that I don't believe are adding much value to society. You're making mm-hmm. some money for a handful of people, but you're not doing anything meaningful with your time or your business. I, I believe you know a foundation like probably the way your grandfather would have described mm-hmm. it is mm-hmm. just build something that has a posterity mindset it can last for a long time that you can hand down to your kids or sell down the road or do something with, I mean, something that has a real structure to it, you know, re- a real soundness to it, not just yeah. uh, an, an empty hollowed out concept that you're going to, you're going to flip for a 10 X profit in five years. Yeah. And I don't believe in that. I don't yeah. think that that's, that's good for society.
0: No, it's not sustainable for anybody. And uh, yeah. So um <clears throat> One of the things we had talked about in in our kind of our pre-call is, 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 is one of the responsibilities, your main responsibilities you feel as a CEO is to kind of be the shield uh, to to the kind of the executive shield to prevent uh, um, the world or whatever from, you know, bullshit getting to your team members. And and you said you had some thoughts around that and some stories. What, what, uh, you know, what comes to mind when you really think about that concept?
1: Yeah. I think you mean the shit shield. Uh, yeah. So shit I use shield. it a lot. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> you got to be the shit shield. I, it's like that whole, whole um, heavy lies the crown adage mm, yeah. to where I, I I, think being a CEO of a startup or a small company that's trying to grow very quickly can be a very lonely job Yeah. because quite simply, everything is your fault. You can't blame mm, anyone else. Lonely for at the any, top. Yeah. yeah, that's right. And it's it's sort of it is what it is i mean i have learned to deal with it over time but it has been difficult because it is it can be very lonely and it can be kind of depressing and um mm. and, it, and it's not good for your anxiety you know to think about all the things that could go wrong all the time i've certainly had problems with employees and partners and investors and customers and you know some of those i've had to singularly deal with just to sort of protect and cushion my staff from the ill effects of those things, you know, like we have a whole production staff and and those people want to come to work and they want to do their jobs and they want to go home and they don't want to have to deal with superfluous nonsense or negative culture in your business. It's like, it should be a comfortable fulfilling environment that is free from craziness and chaos. And and so yes, shielding my employees from that has—I've tried to really work hard at that. I haven't always succeeded, uh, but it's been a, a concerted effort. And uh, and I mean, I do have lots of stories for, about that, but I don't know if I even want to tell any of them because it's like <laughs> you're a shit shield, you know. <laughs> yeah. it, it is. It is literally an everyday thing, and I, I think it's important to focus on the things that you can control. You know, the things that are in your direct purview. And also, recognize the things that are outside of your control and focus your attention on those things that you can change and have an impact on. That mm. helps me a lot,
0: so so really, just kind of focusing in, honing in on what you can change and letting go, if I'm hearing you right, letting go of what you and recognizing the difference, right? Know what you can change, what you can't change, and letting go of what you can't change,
1: yeah. I mean, it's absolutely integral. Part of this is like how can you even survive and function if you're Totally bombarded by all the million bad things that are going on at any given time. I, I mean, I choose anyway to try to focus on things that I can actually fix. And if I can't fix it, you know, maybe I maybe I ignore it. Maybe I try to get someone else to fix it. I, it just depends. It's case to case thing. But um, yeah, you can't possibly attack every single problem at once. It's never going to work. There's mm-hmm. always problems all the time. Never ends. And mm-hmm. I think a lot of people expect it to be you know, everything coming up roses. And of course that is never the case. There's always something going wrong. I don't care how successful someone's business is. There's always some part of it that's not functioning Mm -hmm. the way they wanted to. Mm. And they're going to have to deal with that in whatever way works for them. Well, what works for me is to focus on the things that are in my control. Mm.
0: Yeah. I love that. Um, it's almost like the, uh, the AA, uh, whatever they're saying is very similar. So, um, you know, the thing we were talking about is kind of, you know, one of the biggest failures uh, was you had mentioned kind of jumping the gun and partnering with people who who were not really a fit for your culture and vision. Was that more so back to the 2011 or is that even since 2015?
1: <laughs> it's always it's been a continuous problem, you know, and I think a lot of people don't think about how important. I certainly didn't. I, I think, you know, if 10 years ago, if you would have tried to describe culture to me like the importance yeah. of it i probably would wouldn't have even understood the yeah. concept of what that means you know it's like, like i'm here for you business you know, man yeah you, know, you, <laughs> <know>, you, <laughs> you come in you put the thing in the tea bag, and you put it in the tube yeah. and you send it yeah, out and that's your, your job. job you know yeah but of course nothing is that simple and you really I, i've been really surprised in the huge difference of having a positive culture that is uh centered and gravitating around kindness and empathy as opposed to, you know, some grinded out mentality or Mm. some sort of crazy, whatever. I mean, you name it, but I've had much better success with the former. It's sort of trying to build um, an ecosystem where people feel valued and they feel like they're a part of a team and it works better, you know? And it, it sort of is like cliche, like a family, but, For me, it's a huge difference. You know, I've had partners and employees that were toxic and they cause an outsized level of damage. You know, Mm. like I think if you have people like that in your organization, you have to get rid of them. There's no, Mm. there's no way you can out train somebody with a toxic mindset. You can't fix that. You can fix almost anything. You know, you can fix somebody that doesn't show up on time. You can fix somebody that doesn't do a good job. You can fix somebody that's not getting along with a coworker or you, but you can't train somebody out of having a, a toxic mindset, you know, it's just not possible. You just got to purge them out of your organization.
0: How did you, Um, sounds like you had a couple of run-ins with it. Is there any one that comes to mind that, that, that um, you know, you know, a story around that and, or like, and how did you find out about it? Like what, what was, what was really going on?
1: Yeah. I mean, I've had so many things happen that, I would say fall into that category and some of it is not people acting badly intentionally oh, it's just okay. that they have a different mindset or idea of where the business should be and how it should be operating then than what you might have the issue is is that you know unfortunately for them i started the business and i'm in charge of the business so what i want it to do is sort of important you know like we have a, a mission and a, and a, a set of values and if we're not in line with those, then it doesn't work right. You know, it's just not a good fit. People are unhappy. And when people are unhappy, they, they make things break. And that's why I have tried to focus on, okay, getting mm-hmm. people in our organization who are like-minded, who are positive, you know, about what we're trying to do, what we're trying to accomplish, because it is mm-hmm. very ambitious that mm-hmm. they believe in it. And then we're just nice to each other. You know, mm-hmm. if you can't be nice to each other or to our customers or to our partners or to our investors, then you should just go work somewhere else. Yeah. You know, totally. I mean, I could definitely go into specifics, but I probably won't just because, no, you you're
0: know, yeah, yeah.
1: So, um, it's NSFW, so. <laughs> yeah,
0: totally. So, I mean, it's, it's interesting because the, the most successful CEOs I talk to, they are making that gap. Exactly what you said, you know, 10 years ago, if you were to talk to me about culture, it would have been like, well. T- what is that? You're here to do a job. This is business. And, and it's a new era. It's a new era of leadership. It's a new era of people. People want new things, uh, especially, you know, coming through the pandemic, things have changed, right? People want value, mm-hmm. people want connection. They don't, Pay is hardly important anymore when it comes to what people want in a position, in a career.
1: That's right. And I mean, we're seeing like the whole quiet quitting phenomenon and all that stuff. Yeah, Totally. I mean, it's just it's timely because I think that the the newer generation of workers Mm. are just refusing to do what our parents and grandparents did. You know, they don't want to grind it out for 40 years to get a shitty pension. And then you're old. It's like, you know, is that it? That's not what life's supposed to be about. You know, I don't believe that. And, And one thing I can say that is about the empathy piece that I don't expect anyone that works for me to do something that I wouldn't do. You know, I, I don't expect them to do that. Why should, I mean, that's hypocritical. You know? So the fact that I don't want to live my life that way, it means that I don't, I don't expect them to want to live their life that way either. You know? yeah. I would love for them to have a fulfilling experience and, and be ha- happy as possible knowing that we do all have to work and we do have to make money and we have to make a living. Well, how can we do that in a way that doesn't suck? And right. I, I don't think I'm quite like, I'm not quite where we want to be because we're still mm. a small business and we still need to grow. and, mm-hmm. But in the future, I would love to have uh, a really fun, inclusive, they, you know, the employees get pretty much everything they want. I would love to see that in the future state. And businesses awesome. that don't do that, by the way, I mean, come on, dude. Like you see the whole Elon Musk Uh mentality where it's like, oh, you got to come and work 80 hour weeks for me. And I'm like, yeah, okay, well, I somebody has to do that, but I'm not going to pay for your hair plugs, dude. Sorry. Like somebody (laughs) else can come work 80 hours a week for you. I just I don't think people want to do that anymore. Yeah, You know, they don't want to do that. Why? I want to be home with my kid. I want to be hiking and surfing and all that stuff. I don't want to be, you know, in front of a computer 80 hours a week. I just I don't want that. It's not the life I want. So, yeah. Yeah, it's a lot to ask people to to make those sort of sacrifices for your business.
0: Yeah, that's no, totally. I love you yeah. Work to live instead of live to work, right? Yeah, exactly. Uh, no, very cool. So, so in the future, you would love to have kind of it sounds like that fun, inclusive atmosphere where employees get uh, whatever they want. Uh, that that's fantastic. What do you mean by that? Get whatever they want. What does that mean?
1: Yeah, well, okay. Maybe I shouldn't have said that because now they're going to listen to this and be like, let me tell you what I want. Let me tell you what I want, Brian. <laughs> yeah, All yeah, right, yeah. since you asked. <laughs> <laughs> see, let me see what kind of requests I get. Yeah. Um, I guess I'd say, you know how the big tech companies in Silicon Valley were doing it, but uh-huh. like they were doing it that way because they had to attract top talent and it was like a yeah, contest. ping pong tables. It was like, a, it was like a contest massages. of who could yeah. provide like the craziest <laughs> right. experience. But yeah. I don't want to do that to to attract or retain necessarily. I just want it yeah. to be a place that you don't mind coming to every day. Like I worked on the beach for, for most of my adult life. Nice. I literally came to the beach every day for work. I've never known what it's like to work in a place where I didn't want to be. Mm. And I don't expect anybody that works for me to know that feeling either. I don't want them to come in and be like, I really yeah, don't want to awesome. be here. I, I hate it here. I mean, be careful what you wish for, but (laughs) I, I I definitely endeavor to, to do the best that we can do as an organization to, to provide a fulfilling environment for employees. I guess that's how I would, you know, summarize our, yeah.
0: No, I love that. It's people centric, it's employee centric. And, uh, I think I was, I was on, um, podcast I forget the gentleman he's out of Denver but he said you know I want to provide an environment such that my my employees uh would want to stay and work even if they were millionaires and, and oh man know, that's, that's great that's, right yep yeah I, I, I love that one um very cool so what's what's next for uh Yopon what's uh, what's on the horizon for you guys
1: well um 2023 is the year of Yopan, according to Forbes just throwing that out there it's not me okay. that's Forbes and um, Whole Foods Market said that Yopon is the number one food trend for 2023. So we're going to make a big deal out of that at Expo awesome, West man. this year. Yeah. So okay. we'll be at Expo cool. West uh, you know, exhibiting. And uh, I am actually in Tampa right now to speak at the Synapse Innovation Summit tomorrow. Uh, so we're the only CPG company here because we're crazy okay. and wild and... <laughs> um, yeah. So I'm, you know, I think there's a lot of really, really positive, exciting things on the horizon. Not just for our company, but for Yopon in general. We're not the only Yopon mm-hmm. producer anymore. There's a whole industry that's uh, burgeoning in America, and I think that the whole thing is gonna be uplifted and uplift an entire region that is in desperate need of of something innovative, especially in agriculture, and manufacturing. So. Yeah. Yeah.
0: So, how do you um <clears throat> by the way, that's exciting. Uh, um Forbes naming you guys the year of yopon and and Whole foods, uh, fantastic what um the, and I'm sure that'll give you that gives you a leg up with the competition. What else is gonna give you that kind of if you're comfortable talking about it? I don't want obviously want to reveal any secret sauce that we can't reveal, you know the, but but what's um what's gonna keep you out in front of your competition, man?
1: You know, it's a really good question as to what we actually consider to be our competition. I mean, we never have considered other Yopon companies to be competition because we're just all creating more customers for the product at this point. I think we're definitely competing more with conventional tea companies right now. So uh, the way we get out in front of them is just by having a product that's grown and made in America. I mean, how many tea companies can say that? Zero. I mean, we import in this country 250,000 tons of tea leaves a year. 150 million Americans drink tea in some form every single day, Mm. and all of that is imported. Mm. So we're moving that material on average 8,000 miles to get here, Mm. and then when it gets here, you're dunking it in hot water for a few minutes and then throwing it right in the trash. So the fact that we have this homegrown alternative that's just as good, if not better, just as good for you, if not better, I don't think competition has a chance, man.
0: Uh, it's awesome.
1: Yeah. Awesome. They they can't do what we do. No, I think they um, can.
0: Yeah. I'm I'm sure. Yeah, you've done all the research. Man, that is awesome. Um, one one of the other things that I always like to ask is if um if you were gonna hire a CEO to come and replace you, what would be the one book uh, that you would require that he or she read? For taking that position.
1: All right, I'm the worst person to ask this too because I would never read self help books, and everyone uh-huh. is always giving them to me and recommending them. Okay. And I've never, almost never, read them, or I just like breeze through them. One I have right now is from. I also work for um, a venture studio and an idea accelerator called Builders and Backers. Okay. And which is something I do because I love to do it. Uh, it's an amazing job. But my boss there, Donna Harris, just gave me a book called Atomic Habits.
0: Oh, I love that book.
1: That I think is great. Um, another one that our bookkeeper gave me, this is your ship. I don't know if you've seen oh. that one. No, it's good. I was in the
0: Navy, so I should probably You I should. should. Probably- you
1: should, you <laughs> would you would really dig that one. It's it's a it's an admiral, I think. Is I think he's an okay. admiral. All right. That basically, you know, it's about culture. It's about building this, you know, this you're on a ship in the middle of the ocean, like you have to have a good culture or the whole thing goes to shit, you know? Absolutely. So, so that's a good one. Um, traction is another one, old school yeah. one that I recommend, but like I said, I'm, I'm a very kinesthetic learner and uh-huh. I, I tend to think, you know, <laughs> I don't know. I read self-help books very often, so I don't know if that's, that's not a good thing necessarily, but I'm just not a good person to ask for that advice. No, Yeah, yeah no. Um, Atomic
0: Habits I think is, is a great book. Um, there's even yeah. one, um, um, Tiny habits. If if you're, uh, it's interesting. Atomic habits kind of seems like it goes into a lot of more of the the subconscious, uh, um, and, and it takes a lot of work to make something happen from it. But but it does work if you stick with it. And then tiny habits, I love it because it gives you a really nice uh, model for uh how to really change behaviors and habits very quickly. So between yep. the two of them, I think they're pretty awesome. But um cool, man. Well, hey, Brian, th- thanks again for being on the show. So a couple of my key takeaways was that, you know, you've had you, you had this this launch in 2011, and then kind of a shutdown of that, that concept and a restart in 2015. And and one of the biggest things it sounds like was, was really not creating a scale from the beginning, it sounds like when we look at it, putting putting the, a scalable concept uh, in place and from the beginning. Um, as a CEO, it's, it's very lonely at the top, a lot of times, it's, you know, you're the shit shield. And, and, it it takes on a lot of uh, takes on a lot of energy to do that, and so you know you really have to be. It sounds like strong, and in in just recognizing it is what it is. Like it is lonely at the top, and, and it's just it comes with the job. Um, the other thing that seemed like it was the, it was a big takeaway for me is really not allowing to not not hiring people for skill set when it comes down to it. Really hiring people for fit. Um, being very intentional about bringing like-minded people that that are positive about and excited about what you're doing, What you guys, I mean, what you guys are doing is amazing, right? I mean, we're we're transitioning a tea industry to something that's reliant overseas to United States sustainability, competitive, all that kind of stuff. So it so that's awesome. And the other thing was a big takeaway for me that it sounds like it's a success to you guys is 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 just being nice, creating that culture of compassion. Which is which is you know that's that's the that's the 2023 thing those that's the most successful leaders. So as I kind of went through all that, you know, um, if there was one takeaway that you would really want the audience to absorb, uh, what would that be?
1: Okay, this is going to sound so crazy because everything you said is, I think, very important. Yeah. But honestly, the being nice part is the most wow. important thing, wow. and and it's also the hardest thing in in a lot of ways, because mm. at the end of the day, sometimes you do not want to be very nice. You no. know, I mean, certainly I don't. I've, I have days where it's the last thing I want to do is be nice to people. Um, but, you know, as I get older and things happen and it changes your perspective and, and you have successes and failures, I mean, there really aren't that many things in your business life that are actually important. Mm. Like, you're still going to be dead at the end of it. And yeah. all this stuff is, is not going to matter then. And and how many people get spun up in this whole, you know, I'm going to wear my Xenia suit and make, get on, you make tons of money and have a crazy exit. Yeah. And, and they don't focus on the simple things like getting out in nature, being nice to people, having a fulfilling life mm-hmm. that is, you know, real and genuine. Yeah. And to me, It's like, I know we're on a business podcast, but business is a part of life and life is a one shot deal and you get what you get. And I think that time that you have, it's important to make the most of it. Uh, That's fantastic, man. That's a great, uh, it's a great takeaway.
0: Um, I love that. And so, so Brian, if any of our listeners wanted to reach out and, uh, somehow get involved to either utilize your product or, or work with you on some kind of a partnership or reach out for questions from today, from the show, how could they do that?
1: Yeah. So, uh, they can go to yoponbrothers.com. That's Y-A-U-P-O-N brothers, all spelled out.com. You can find us on Amazon. You can find us at Whole Foods Market in the Southeast. You can find us at Walmart, um, Yeah, so we're all over the place. Uh, You can find me on LinkedIn, of course. And I also have another gig where I'm a venture builder for builders and backers, which is an excellent idea accelerator that I really believe in. So everyone feel free to check that out as well. Yeah.
0: You know, tell us a little bit more about that before we wrap up the show. Tell us what is this venture builders thing?
1: Yeah, well, I'm happy you asked because it's, it's something I'm really passionate about. But I think like mm-hmm. a lot of entrepreneurs in this industry, I've gone through the the ringer of trying to raise capital. Of course you have to do yeah, it. If you want right. to scale, there's not sure. really a way around it. And I just felt uh, that it was a very exclusionary sort of off-putting experience that didn't focus on some of those things that we were talking about, like culture and being nice to people. And it's, it's a very narrow uh, mindset that I think venture capitalists have a lot of the time. Mm-hmm. And Uh, I came across an idea accelerator, which basically focuses on the fact that three in five Americans have an idea to start a business at some point in their life. And the vast majority of them do not act on it. And they don't act Mm -hmm. on it because they're intimidated. They don't know where to get started. And the idea was like, well, how are we losing out? What's the opportunity cost as a society when these businesses don't ever become a thing? They don't fly off the page and become real. So two, you know, Died in the wool, like long-time investors, uh, Donna Harris and Kathleen Hale started builders and backers. Uh, investors in your company? No, no, they're not investors in my company. They're just oh, okay, investors. okay, just investors. Okay, cool. Uh, traditionally. And they had the same mindset that I had developed was, yeah. of course, theirs is much more mature because they were actually in the venture capital space. Mm-hmm. And they believed that uh, entrepreneurship needed to be democratized, that more Mm -hmm. people needed to have access to these resources, that we were losing out as a civilization because these business ideas never became real, because people couldn't access capital or mentorship or whatever. And um, I got the opportunity to become a part of it, to help um, develop these ideas into scalable, repeatable businesses. And uh, I, I jumped at that opportunity first chance I got. So. Uh, It's a great, it's a great program, operates in about a dozen cities in America right now. And uh, I'm just really excited to see that grow and, and really serve a a segment of the population of would be, could be, should be entrepreneurs that are currently underserved.
0: Gotcha. Yeah. Wow. That sounds like such a fun project, almost like a a shark tank, but yeah. Yeah. Right. As, especially for an entrepreneur, shark tank, but not bullshit. (laughs) Gotcha. Yeah. Yeah, cool. Um, and so I was just looking up your LinkedIn profile. Is it okay if I give the your tag for uh, your profile handle? For uh, oh, please uh, people do. Touch okay, please do. It's, it's so so. It's Brian White. B R Y O N White is his last name. W H I T E. His handle though, it's Brian Dash White Dash B Nine B One Seven Two B Zero. So, if you want to get in touch with Brian, uh, that's the best way to do it. Uh, and awesome. Again, thanks again for being on the show. This was fantastic. Um, For the audience out there, please hit like and subscribe and help us spread the word about the show and what we're doing here. Again, Brian, thanks again for everything, sharing your wisdom, sharing your time. I know there's going to be some CEOs and leaders that uh, got a ton from this. So again, thanks for being on the show.
1: Hey, thank you, Patrick. Thanks for the opportunity.
0: All right, man. Well, that we'll see everybody on the next episode. Bye-bye. Thank you for listening to another episode of the High Performance CEO Podcast with your host, Patrick Rogers. Make sure you subscribe so you don't miss any future episodes. In the meantime, check out our main website at patrickvrogers.com for much more valuable information and free resources.